Hello, welcome back everybody. It's a brand new episode of Outside the Huddle and it's Andy alongside James and Paul as usual. Gents, it's nice to be back. I've missed your smiling faces. <laughs> Is that a dig at me for not having my camera working? Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The view's better tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul is in darkness, but he's he's very much there. In, you know. As you can um, yeah. Everybody, well, is everybody enjoying the Olympics? There's a question started. Of course. I didn't realise today. Uh, I was reading about it just then before we started. This is our best ever start to an Olympics. Yeah. Like medals wise. And See? don't get me wrong, I mean, I am impressed with how we've done. I just, was, I thought that's quite an underwhelming stat that that's our best ever start. I feel like I watch the Olympics every time though, and we always seem to break records for how many we get. And I'm like, we've only got about 15. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no dampener. I don't want a dampener because obviously, like, it's, it's awesome what we're doing. But yeah, I didn't realize we were doing as well as we are. I'm, uh, I kind of watch a little bit before I go to work on a morning. Uh, I don't really know what's going on a lot of the time, but I'm just amazed at what is now an Olympic sport. Like skateboarding. Yeah, I mean, there's hope for really like not unfit people like us. We can like podcasting. Be... Yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, so this is actually the last in our series of the divisional previews we've been doing. Uh, we're over to the NFC West to finish up. Uh, we've had some really good guests on the show. Uh, throughout these episodes and same applies tonight uh, we're actually joined by managing editor of the rams wire cameron de silva cameron thanks for jumping on hey guys how's it going very well yourself pretty good good man um yeah like i said we've had some we've had some great guests jump on especially uh, guys from from overseas and um it's it's really good for us because they're a lot closer to the action uh, and definitely just far more knowledgeable than we are ever going to be. So um, before we kind of get stuck into the thick of this one, can you just tell everybody what it is you're kind of doing day to day? Yeah, day to day, just following pretty much anything that the Rams do. Um, I'll write analytical pieces, uh, breaking down the roster, previewing the season, guys that they have on the team. Um, if they cut a player, sign a player, uh, analyzing that and what it means for the team this season. So. Essentially, anything you want to know about the Rams, I'll have you covered and, and hopefully keep you up to date on, on anything that the team does. Excellent. James, do you not want to throw your favorite question at this point? <laughs> yeah. So, um, have with your experiences of asking questions, meeting players, coaches, is there any time that you've absolutely regretted asking a player or a coach a question or... And on the flip side, has there been one where you've actually had managed to build a real good relationship with someone through maybe chatting to them, but, you know, it's blown your mind sort of thing? Yeah, Jalen Ramsey, I, I've built a, a connection with just messaging with him and um, talking about talking about the offseason with him and, and things that uh, the Rams are doing and moves that they're making and what he likes and doesn't like. Uh, so he's he's been pretty open. Um, I, I talked with Todd Gurley a few times and he, he was always um, honest and open and willing to answer any questions that I asked. Can't think of anything I regretted asking off the top of my head, but um, guys are always so willing to talk and um, really just discuss things beyond football as well. I think that's the thing coming from Britain and uh, like watching the football over here, soccer over here. 
one, it blows our mind that you guys take the time to come on a podcast like ours, for instance, but also <laughs> yeah. the interaction with the players, obviously with the, the media actually have. Over here, if you do have that interaction, it's, it's just not the same. Normally, mm-hmm. they're so closed off. It's so robotic, but it's completely different with the NFL. And hearing you guys tell us the stories, like you just said about Jalen Ramsey, that just blew my mind straight away because, <laughs> you know, he's one of the top players in the NFL. So the thought that, you know, he takes a bit of time to talk to people is, is amazing. Yeah, right? yeah it, it really is cool. It is. Uh, I, I'm blown away by it, too, just the way that he's so open and, and just – uh, messages me out of the blue, just a little blogger, uh, and, and wow. chopping it up with me. And, and that's the thing, not everyone sees that. Obviously, the media outside of the Rams or people close to him make him sound like he's not such a great person, but mm-hmm. they don't actually know the person. That's the frustrating thing, isn't it? So, yep, yep. Do you ever have to tell him, can you just leave me alone, Jerry? I'm <laughs> That's something I'll never tell him. <laughs> I'm on outside the huddle. Give me a minute. <laughs> that is pretty wild, though, because obviously like, the Rams themselves are, are okay with the players speaking to, to guys in the media. To an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah they uh, when, uh, when there's interviews and things and there's... Um, PR people involved, there's there's things that they limit them that they can say and, and they don't want them to be too open. But um, it's they're, it's they're they're always willing to to talk and share some insight. That's cool. Um, so as we've been doing with these these episodes, uh, we're going to have a quick flip back to last season and not not spend too much time on it. But um, quick look back at the results: ten and six last season. Uh, they beat the Seahawks in the wild card round, lost to the Packers. Um, in sort of overall, was that kind of how fans over there expected the season to play out, um, or were they were they kind of, was the expectation that they were going to go further than that? Still, no, I, I think they pretty much hit the expectation um, heading into the season. There was a lot of changes, and there was questions about the offensive line and. Um, how the running backs would do with Cam Akers being a rookie and, and things like that. So um, it was kind of, I, w- I wouldn't say it was um, an overly impressive season by their standards, especially with the way that they were playing defensively. They're the number one defense in the NFL. So um, a lot of fans wanted them to go further and expected them to um, go a little bit deeper into the playoffs, but they ran into a really good Packers team with the 2020 MVP leading the way and, and um, just a, a tough team to beat. So I would say they met or slightly exceeded expectations just because the way the 2019 season went, it was so disappointing um, to see them back in the playoffs at least and have a 10 and six record. Um, it, it was encouraging. Yeah, I mean, the, the defense is just sensational. Um, you know, average 18.5 points per game. Flip things around and look at the other side of the ball. Not so pretty. They were. Tenth uh, worst in the league in terms of point scoring per game, um, and it's interesting when you look at the breakdown of the results that from last season they never won more than two games, uh, two consecutive games at any point. So the points to maybe a problem, kind of being able to build momentum up, I guess. Yeah, they they really couldn't build any momentum last season at all. Um, they never really lost multiple games in a row um, prior to. The last season and I think they only did it twice down the at the end of the season the, the Jets and the Seahawks beat them but uh they never really got on got on a winning streak at any point in the season it was kind of just up and down and 
Um, they ended it with the win against the Cardinals in, in the final game and then uh, went to Seattle and beat the Seahawks, but just no consistency really, especially from the offense. It was, um, they would get a couple of decent performances and then fall back down to the earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we always have a look back at what the team did in free agency and come to the draft as well. But I mean, your free agency was kind of dominated by by the Stafford acquisition. We, I'm always interested to know from, from somebody who's kind of closer to the action, was that, it seemed to be quite sudden to us. We kind of woke up one day and it was like, oh, that, that trade's happened. Is there a lot more, obviously, were you aware that that was happening well before it happened? No, I wasn't actually. I had no idea that was coming. Um, I was even caught off guard that the that the Rams traded Goff at all. Um, you kind of got the sense that McVeigh, the coach, was was frustrated with the way that Goff played towards the end of the season and really throughout the season um, entirely. And it, it was just hard to imagine a scenario where they were going to be able to trade Goff and get a decent return, especially with the way that his contract was structured. They had to take on so much dead money. So I wasn't expecting them to trade him at all. Um, and the fact that they got Stafford in that deal was um, really surprising. I remember it was, I think, a Saturday night. I just sat down to watch a movie, and all of a sudden I got a notification on my phone that the Rams acquired Matthew Stafford. And uh, that's uh, getting those, those, net, those notifications on a Saturday night is not anything that I ever enjoy, but um, it, it made for an exciting offseason, at least for the Rams, um, considering they didn't do much in free agency in the draft. They didn't have a first-round pick, so that was really the highlight of their offseason. What film was you watching? <laughs> um, actually, it wasn't a movie. It was Netflix. It was Don't F With Cats, uh, oh. that documentary. <laughs> Excellent. I don't know if you guys have watched that, but it sat down, I think, for episode one. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. It was good. It was enjoyable after after I got all that Stafford stuff done. <laughs> um, I did want to double check this. So uh, talking in exchange for Goff a third and two firsts down the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone over here was talking about it for, for days afterwards. Everyone has their opinion on kind of who who came out best. But I think when we talked about it, James and Paul, we were fairly in agreement that it was kind of a good deal, fairly even deal, really, we felt. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those that you could see the struggles with Goff. And the Rams team was good enough to be there, thereabouts last year. And it wasn't all on Goff necessarily, but he was holding them back. So in fairness, and unlike some NFL teams, they just got on with it. They saw the problem. McVeigh was getting frustrated. What's the point of struggling on? And yeah, you pay a premium to do what you have to do, but you know, staff is exciting. As long as he's healthy, there's no reason, and there's no reason why he won't be. Then I've really feared the Rams personally from a personal point of view. So. Yeah, I think first instinct is you're like in the second you see it, you think that's a lot. You're paying a lot for a quarterback who's not particularly young, but you've got to factor in that they're paying to get rid of Goff into that. And I mean, I don't know your opinions on Goff in general, but. As a podcast, we haven't been his biggest fan. I think that's easy to say. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a fair deal. The Lions have obviously got quite a lot and they've got a transition quarterback, if that's what you want to call Someone who can help them get a a good pick next year as well. Um, So I was happy. I was happy for Stafford. That was my main thing. Um, I just want to see him have the chance to succeed and hopefully he will do it. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a perfect breakdown of it. Uh, the Lions get a couple of draft picks to help them rebuild because it really is a barren roster with not much talent at all. Um, Jared Goff is quarterback that Brad Holmes, their new GM, liked and, and was there when they drafted him. So he gets a guy that he's familiar with. He knows he has some potential if in the right system. And then the Rams get a quarterback who um, they feel can help put them over the hill right now and help them win a Super Bowl now. Whereas McVay obviously didn't feel that Jared Goff could get them to do that, even though he did help get them to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, just the way that he regressed the last couple of seasons, it, it wasn't working out for them. So I think it is a trade that worked out for both sides. The the Lions helped their rebuild and um, really they were in a position where Stafford wanted to get out. So um, they get two first round picks and a third and a decent quarterback for him. So it's hard to it's hard to dislike that trade for them. Just quickly on the golf thing, I know it's it's a bit of a hard question, really, but it's amazing to think only because like I say a couple of years ago he he wasn't perfect. There were still question marks going into the Super Bowl and after Super Bowl, but no one was that low on Jared Goff at that point. How did it go from that to quite quickly, really, everyone questioning if he's actually got the ability or not, and then obviously to where he's at now. But, how did how did what how was you seeing that develop? Was there things going on behind the scenes that just the confidence dropped with him? Or yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it just seemed like like he got more gun shy in the pocket. Um, he wasn't sensing pressure properly. He um, he was missing receivers that were open. And in the 2018 season when they went to the Super Bowl, it, if you ask me, he was an MVP candidate up until um, that bye week. He had I don't know if you guys remember that game against the Chiefs where. He absolutely lit it up. He had a, a great game against the Vikings that season, too. Um, so he was looking like an MVP candidate. And then after that bye, it kind of just fell apart. And then he uh, he regressed in 2019 and didn't get any better last season. Just making careless mistakes. And um, he wasn't seeing the field properly. Yeah, well, I, th- I think as well, uh, it's a really interesting one looking at Stafford because as uh, someone who's been – He's been a divisional rival for my team and he kind of, I like the guy, he seems like a really good guy and he's very talented, but he kind of has this thing around him that he's, it's almost like he's been immune from any criticism. As, as bad mm-hmm. as the, the Lions have been, people have always kind of said, oh, but Stafford's a special talent and it's not his fault and it's, you know, he needs to go elsewhere. So this is it for him as well. This is, there's a lot of pressure on him because this is his chance now. He's going into a roster that is stacked with talent. Mm-hmm. in a team that are expected to, to go all the way, really, or there or thereabouts. So it's kind of make or break for him at, at this stage as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you could you could ask the question of who's under more pressure this season, McVay or Stafford. McVay finally has his hand-picked quarterback. Um, he has a good defense. He has a good um, core of receivers and running backs. And then Stafford comes to a team where he has – um, a really good supporting cast finally has a really good defense. Um, his receivers are strong. I know he had Calvin Johnson and Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones throughout his career, but now he has two solid wideouts with Woods and Cup. And really nothing to, to complain about or, or um, feel is holding him back. So there's a lot of pressure on both guys, but especially Stafford. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you mentioned kind of the draft, uh, not having a first round pick. They took two to Atwell in the second round. Looking at it uh, over here and from a neutral point of view, that, I don't know whether you'd agree, James, would seem, and Paul, seem to get really mixed reactions over here. 
Yeah, it's hard because you you read a lot of um, you read a lot of stuff on online. It's biased, you could say as well, but because of his size and just generally having a lot of people holding down as like a fourth or fifth round pick. But yeah, it did seem a bit out of the blue. I think a lot of people thought there was a lot more talent on the board, but you know, we'll find out, won't we? That's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I I have no idea. We know I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I um I I agree that I've heard both positive and negative, but I've seen more question marks than most of the other picks in the second round. They're not saying it's a complete bust or anything like that because it's obviously way too soon. But there are people saying he should have been there in the third. They could have got him later on. But who, what do we know? Yeah. <laughs> The draft really is just a crapshoot, and you don't know what's going to happen. But uh, with the guy, my thing with Atwell is uh, they already had Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, Deshaun Jackson. Wide receiver was really the strength of the team in that offense. And then they go out and use a second-round pick, their first pick, on a receiver who is 155 pounds and really doesn't look like an NFL receiver. Um Obviously has the speed and the explosiveness and things that you want to see, but you can't help but think he's going to be another Tavon Austin, and he's even smaller than Tavon Austin. So um, really, to me, a questionable pick, especially when you needed offensive line help and there were a few guys there to take. Um, I wasn't crazy about the pick, but as always with the draft, you got to wait and see. How did they actually justify the pick? What was their reasoning behind it? Essentially, it was McVeigh wanting to add explosiveness to the roster and just more uh, weapons for Stafford and to put more pressure on opposing defenses with guys that they have to cover because you can really go four wide with Cup, Woods, Jackson, and, and Atwell and really have a scary offense, especially with Stafford at quarterback. Um, so that's kind of how they justified it. It's McVeigh really wanting to bolster a, a, a position group that – um, was already strong, but he wanted more explosiveness after the offense was kind of just sputtering and um, dinking and dunking its way down the field last season with short passes and trying to go 15 plays. To be fair, with Sean Jackson as well in your team, you're only getting four starts out of him. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So they need a backup. Yeah, exactly. And, can and replace McVay, called, McVay called out, well, Sean Jackson Jr., so. Uh, they got his replacement down the line, I guess, already on the team. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect to slot him in. In terms of the rest of the draft performance, kind of how how was it received overall? Kind of with mixed reviews. Um, the linebacker they took, Ernest Jones, was um, not the guy a lot of fans wanted them mm. to take. They wanted um, Jabril Cox from LSU or a, a more athletic uh, rangy linebacker rather than kind of a, a run defender who has limitations athletically. Um, Jake Funk in the seventh round taking another running back now doesn't look so bad, especially with Cam Akers out. Um, but that was a questionable pick for some. It, really, the, the biggest sticking point was the fact that they didn't take a single offensive lineman, which a lot of people felt was the biggest need. So that's where a lot of fans just felt like they missed on this class. Is there anybody... In those picks that kind of we might not know about, who's sort of catching the eye over there, and we should be looking out for. Yeah, Robert Rochelle, the cornerback, and Jacob Harris, the tight end. Um, they've kind of stood out a little bit. Um, well, Jacob Harris did in, in OTAs and minicamp, and then uh, Robert Rochelle is just a player that I like coming out of uh, Central Arkansas. He's 
an athletic guy, has good explosiveness and leaping ability and speed and uh, really one of the best athletes in the in the class. And I think he's going to be a good pro down the line. Maybe not this year, but he has he has the uh, the talent and the athleticism to become a good cornerback in a few years. Yeah, Jacob Harris, I watched quite a lot last year because he plays for UCF, and mm-hmm. he's, he's a bit. It's hard to compare him to people, but he's like his physique and everything else remind me of like that big, strong, tight end. And obviously, yeah. he's a attack that was perfect. So I'm intrigued to see how he does with the Rams. It's just getting on the field, I guess. Yeah, yeah, raw player, but someone with a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it there, Cameron, but obviously the, the big news sort of in the last week or so was the Cam Akers injury. And uh, it, I know it's not really a sort of a serious uh, bar to address this, but what we were seeing over here from a fantasy point of view, he, he was just being so hyped up this season. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going really early in drafts and there was so much expectation on him. Um, just a huge, huge blow to, to lose him now and I don't know is there any chance that they might look to bring somebody else in or are they just going to settle with where they're at I think right now um, McVeigh said they're going to kind of stick with what they have with Daryl Henderson being the back the replacement um, and then they have Xavier Jones who was undrafted last year and Jake Funk who was the seventh rounder this year so um, right now it sounds like they're just going to stick with what they have he shot down the the idea of bringing in Todd Gurley uh, pretty quickly. Uh, that's not something that I think either side wants to go into. Um, but if training camp goes on and, and the running backs kind of either struggle or really just don't step up the way that they're expecting to, uh, maybe they could bring in a, a free agent or, or make a deal for someone. We shall see. Um, before we have a look at the rest of the teams in the division, I did want to ask about one more thing. Um, Paul and James, do you know where I'm going with this? I don't. No, I'm uh, I need to know about Stan Cronk. Cronky? Uh-huh. Cronky. <laughs> um, so, for context, Cameron, uh, as far as English football is concerned, I'm an Arsenal supporter. Obviously, he owns the Cronkies' own Arsenal. And to say they're not popular would be an understatement. Um, mm-hmm over here and I just wondered how I mean it's very different obviously there is kind of there is his main love if you like but how how is he perceived how are the family perceived by the fans so fans really don't like him especially those in St. Louis when he he moved the Rams from St. Louis to LA so they absolutely were not happy about that but it's not to the extent that it is over there um Mm. I saw the the protests over is it Emirates (laughs) Stadium the Mm. Arsenal Stadium yeah so um Really, it's not to that extent of um, despising him and really not liking what he's doing, but um, he's not very well liked among the fan base, you could say. Does that make you feel better? Yeah, it does. It does. It's generally not. (laughs) Um, Is he a very present uh, person? Because obviously, I mean, he turns up and he's not going to be there that often, but he turns up maybe to Arsenal once a year, if that. Is he? Very present with the Rams. He's usually he's uh, he's usually there at least a few times a year for the home games. I would imagine he's going to be there a bunch this season with the new uh, with the new stadium opening and fans actually being allowed to attend games. So I'd assume he's going to make a, a few appearances at least this season. 
Um, but he's he's pretty present, I would say, within the within the fan base and uh, within the organization. I mean, his his son Josh has been kind of taken more of the responsibility with Arsenal, I guess, in 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 the last sort of year or so. And it, to his credit, he puts himself across very well. He speaks very well, and he's kind of. I think the fans have warmed to him a little bit more. Um, so it may it may be that he's kind of taken over the um, other interests outside of the Ravens. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know about his son uh, being more involved with Arsenal. Mm. Yeah, he's he's he's, uh, he's been there quite a bit. As long as he gives us money, that's all that matters, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give us money. Um, yeah, so let's look at the rest of the division. Uh, we'll start with the Seahawks. Paul, I'm coming to you. You love the Seahawks. Why? No, because you love Russ, don't you? You love him so. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say I have a particular love of the Seahawks. Well, um, I know, but it did I, last year. No, I. I I appreciate them. I feel like when I was really, really getting into the NFL, they were the bandwagon team. Hmm. Um, the whole, the Russ team. And then you go to an NFL game over here and you see an awful lot of lime green that you shouldn't see anywhere else. <laughs> um, <laughs> and obviously they've got great fans. So they, and yeah, I, I, I can say that I have a, a respect for them, but... It doesn't go much further than that, Andy. Well, no, but it's it's all about Russ, isn't it? And well, um, let's talk about Russ. Yes, I am in love with the man. They <laughs> seemingly turned down a couple of offers for him. That's what we're reading. A couple of approaches in the off season. Did were you thinking he might move on? I wasn't too sure. Um, looking at it, it made sense for him because I don't think that Seahawks team is good enough to compete even in the division this year really um it's looking stronger again and i feel like they could be the team to fall off i could be proven wrong but um i guess him not being traded doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't up for it i, f- I do feel like he could have been more than okay getting yeah. a new a new chance somewhere else but the seahawks obviously didn't feel like they could get what they wanted for him or they just didn't want to even consider it I would personally like to see him elsewhere. On the on the Cowboys or? Not necessarily. <laughs> they've got. A, uh, I would have liked him at the Jets, believe it or not. Even though I just feel like that could be a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust the Seahawks. And then to be honest, it's the, I, I wouldn't blame Russ if he did one out because they don't protect him, and that was one of the things he came out and said. Yeah. But I, yeah. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But. You couldn't blame him if he did, because why would you want to just keep risk getting injured? Because that's what I feel like the Seahawks do to him every year. Yeah, I mean, I was doing when I was doing a bit of prep for this. Um, one of the things I read said, you know, Seattle need to work out why he's so unhappy. And I thought the guy got sacked forty-seven times last <laughs> season. He's going to be happy. Yeah, he's going to get hurt. Um, I don't know. What do you think about the Seahawks, Cameron? I think they're a, they're a team that lives and dies by Russ. You guys touched on it a little bit. It's it's all about him. It's whether he can um, avoid pressure and avoid sacks because that offensive line is going to let guys through. Uh, the running game with Chris Carson is good when he's healthy. Got two good receivers with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but that defense, especially that pass rush, is kind of suspect right now. 
Yeah, that defense, and it feels like it's been for a few years now. And once again, they don't really address it. Like they sort of do, but I mean, Jamal Adams was a great signing, but then they're struggling with that issue now. And yep. I just don't know. I don't know where they're going, really. Can I just yep. say we dominated them with Colt McCoy last year? Exactly. <laughs> that was one of our one of my, as a Giants fan, that was the most comfortable game I watched all season. All joking aside, we sailed that, and they went twelve and four last year. So. I know. It's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they can't, it doesn't take long to look over their draft picks. They only had three. Um, <laughs> and so they probably, whether they could even address what they needed to address is, is questionable. But they, like James said, they went big on Jamal Adams last season. Um, and, you know, you can't fix everything in with one player in one season. But that defence is, is still going to struggle. I think it could be, when it comes to our predictions, we could be seeing a trend going downwards, maybe. What about 49ers? Um, everything we're reading at the minute, the narrative is the same as it always seems to be with the Niners. If they can stay fit, then they're going to be a problem for a lot of people. Uh, easier said than done, because as we start to see, this is the time of year when people just start going down all over the place. They've addressed one of their biggest issues, though, obviously. It depends. I think they're going to go with Jimmy G, but... Obviously, his fitness is probably one of the main concerns. Like the last couple of years, is a bit like a Jared Goff drop off. But um, at the same time, him not being on the pitch doesn't really help. So, if if that happens, then they obviously do believe in Trey Lance. But I think it's far too early for him. So I, it's another tricky one because they're another team that have they do have a lot of talent, but it's the coaching that makes me believe in them. But yeah, I don't know. Other than one year, should we really be believing in them? I, I mean, injuries have been a big part, but outside that one Super Bowl year, they always, they're fine, but they're not great, and they have a lot of injuries, so. This is true. I was going to say, James, the big question with it being the quarterback situation, they went big, they got up there, and they got Lance, and of all the QBs in the draft, the the talk with him was always, he's he's uber talented, but he's not ready. He's not ready to start. Um, I mean... I suppose it'll be interesting after four weeks, they might decide he is, he is ready to start, depending on what happens. Considering where they took him, you kind of got to feel like they must feel like he's closer than what people think. But um, they only had one season in the college football, and that was like a lower, much lower level than what everyone else played at. So I'm intrigued to see how the whole Trey Lance thing went. But everyone was high on him. And obviously, he is great talent, but I think he's far, well, he's very raw. So. I do. I think he's sixty year, but I don't know if you can trust Jared, uh, Jimmy Jimmy G. To be honest, so well, I always have this debate with sitting the year. Um, would you not rather get a year of experience in the league as a quarterback and potentially suck, and therefore get a very high draft pick, or do you prefer not ruining his first game and first couple of games in the league and? playing Jimmy G and getting six or seven wins and doing nothing all season. Like, it's, 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 it's the, the ultimate de- like ultimate question, isn't it? Be either good or bad, basically, yeah? Yeah. Let's ask Cameron, because Cameron knows he's seen a lot more of people coming out of college and understanding more than us, I think. That's a tough question. It's one that a lot of teams try to figure out, and a lot of it comes down to um, how the rookie looks in training camp in the preseason and in practice. Uh, it worked for Patrick Mahomes, who essentially sat out his entire rookie season. Aaron Rodgers, um, I think, did the same. 
Um, but you also have guys like Justin Herbert last year who came in after I think two or three games and really lit it up for the Chargers and, and showed a lot and um, gave fans a lot to be excited about heading into this season. So um, it's it's difficult to say what the best approach is, but it kind of comes down to the individual player himself. Um, in the situation of the 49ers, I would I would almost see what Jimmy G can do for the first, say, four or five weeks, see if he can improve a little bit versus what he did last season and, and in years past. Uh, and if he does well, then great. If he doesn't, then he turns to the rookie and see what he can do. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you what they do like in San Francisco. They like a running back. Um, <laughs> they took Trey Sermon in the third round. They brought Wayne Goldman in, who, Paul, I think you'd agree was decent when he, he stepped is, in. Yeah, he is decent. That um, is the word. They have Mostert. They have Jeff Wilson. Uh, they also then took another running back in the sixth round. So they're either planning for a classic 49ers uh, season where everybody goes <laughs> down injured. Well, they just, I don't know what they're doing with those picks. But... They basically don't have two games of the season. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the one player that we all, I don't know whether, he seems to be another player, certainly from a fantasy perspective, that everybody's expecting to blow up or waiting to blow up is, is Ayuk. Um, he's really talented and I would like to see him have a real kick on this year. It's a real interesting one. There's a lot of mouths to feed in the offense now. Mm. Um because like we're assuming Debo doesn't take a lot of them targets back. Um, Kittle, a healthy Kittle, when he did play last year, he ate up a lot of them targets too. Mm-hmm. What, and and you are essentially a run-heavy offense. So from a fantasy point of view, that is just a minefield for me, and I'm not too fast if I don't end up with many of them other than Kittle at all. Yeah, I like Ayuk. Ayuk showed a lot last year, but you're right. I, because of that, I don't think fantasy wise, I'll, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to be that top tier guy. But actual ability wise, he's he looks the real deal to me. Oh, he could he, he could easily just blast Debo and all of the other options away. Like it's not out of the equation. It's just for what you're paying. I just, I, I just don't like the risk. Yeah, I'll do that. Mm. Well, finally. We'll look at the Cardinals. Now, Cameron, again, for context, the Cardinals are a team that we just don't. We just can't work them out. We have no idea <laughs> what they are or you know what they're going to be. Um, last season, you, you look at the teams they lost to and then look at the teams they beat, and I think it's fair to say, what the hell is going on? Who, who are they? Because... <laughs> They lost to the Lions, the Panthers, and a pretty bad Patriots team. Then they beat the Niners, the Bills, and Washington, who were a very solid team. So I just don't know. And I know, like, they kind of with with the bookies over here, uh, people we, we've had on the, the show recently have kind of said they're a sneaky feeling for a Super Bowl as an outsider, sort of forty to one. I have no idea. They kind of I wouldn't put my money on them, but then when they won it, I'd be saying, why well, didn't I put my money on? Them? Yeah, they're like you said, they're a tough team to figure out. So much of it comes down to Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, and if they can come up with an offense that um, really maximizes his skill set and the fact that they have DeAndre Hopkins, um, just that combination of Murray and Hopkins should be enough to make them legitimate contenders. And then they had J.J. Watt, and they have Chandler Jones, who wants to trade. Isaiah Simmons they drafted last year, Zayvon Collins this year. 
Um, Buda Baker is such a good player. So they have all the, they have talent at, uh, across the board and um, they traded for the, the Raiders center Rodney Hudson this season. So um, really talented roster, but just they don't, they're a team that you don't feel confident beating lesser competition for whatever reason. They're not a team that you expect to blow out bad teams. And uh, I, I like to think that's going to change this season with Murray having another year of experience under his belt. He played really well last season, ran the ball well, um, but they're just, they're a hard team to get fully behind. Um, you like to think they're going to be a team that's similar to the Ravens a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson was playing so well, but um, you just don't know. It's, I feel like they're like on the cusp, that offense on the cusp of being like that top, top tier and kind of like you say, being that Ravens sort of offense. But mm-hmm. I, I am intrigued because the back end of last year, I think it was the Patriots. They, I can't really remember exactly. I, I mean, I'm not X's and O's and all that, but I think they basically put all their big men in front of Kyler Murray and it's to the point where he had to sort of run sideways and then they would sack him. And it, it was it obviously they confined him to enough that he couldn't run mm-hmm. that much and he couldn't throw the ball because they was too tall for him in those blockers. <laughs> but I remember whoever they played the week after pretty much adopted a similar policy. You know, right? They didn't do it quite as well as the Patriots, but it worked. And I'm just wondering now if someone's you know what it's like in the NFL. Someone finds a weakness, finds mm-hmm. an area, and then everyone jumps on it. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they've got some solutions to that problem because that seemed to pick up over the last few weeks of the season. But if Kyler yeah. Murray carries on progressing the way he is, then you kind of are looking at that Lamar Jackson sort of season. And if that happens, then they are the real deal. And you're right. When you look at some of the pieces they've got, even on defense, they should be good enough. But mm-hmm. I've, even last year, people were trying to say that defense is better than you think. And I've never, I didn't see it going into last year. And I didn't really see enough last year where I'm like, they're a good defense. I think they're average, but I don't think they're good. And even though they've got JJ Watt, now they might lose Chandler Jones. And I think if anything, mm-hmm. you're pretty much JJ Watt, an injury prone player who's at the end of his career. Charles Jones still has a little bit left in his tank. So then I feel like that is now you're, you're, lo- you're losing something. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, I, I think they will improve as a team and they, they might surprise me, but I can't, I just can't, I'm still not getting on board. When we get to our predictions, I'm letting the Arizona Cardinals down again, I'm afraid. <laughs> but they don't let me down when I do it. So. <laughs> There'll be, I mean, a couple of the players that um, we need to talk about with them, Rondale Moore first round two pick I'm looking forward to watching him um and they did need uh, they did need to do something at that position I think because you've got Fitz who's obviously uh, maybe one year out of retirement um Isabella and Kirk both in there but never seem to kick on they kind of have flashes and then they, they don't mm-hmm. contribute or anything so that spot for Moore is is absolutely there for the taking to to kind of team up with uh Hopkins yeah, you can't really trust A.J. Green, who they signed this this offseason either. Um, just an injury-prone guy at the end of his career. You can't expect to get much out of him, so I like the Rondale more pick there. Yeah, he's speed. He really is. But he's got his fitness issues as well, so this hope, mm-hmm. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, he, he's got past that, though, because when he played that one season where he was completely fit in college, he was amazing. So yeah, he will be the typical Kyler Murray. You've got Hopkins on one side, and you've got the deep threat. He's going to be lights out if he Hits it running. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, fun. What about Kyler then? Because he, I mean, you look at his numbers year one, 20 passing touchdowns for rushing. Then he made this massive step with 26 passing touchdowns, 11 rushing touchdowns last year. Cards on the table. 
Uh, it's hard to say, but is he gonna? Is that trend gonna keep going up? Yeah, I think so. I think he's gonna be a really good player. Um, I don't know how much money I would put on him to win MVP, but he's gonna be in the conversation just because he's such a dual threat. Uh, he's gonna put up big numbers like he did last season, and with all the guys around him, and hopefully an improved offensive line, I think he's gonna have a really good year. Um, it's just about whether teams are gonna figure out how to contain him. And uh, and take away his his running ability because that is such a such an important part of his game and it, it allows him to create plays not only as a runner but as well as a thrower where he he's he's looking downfield and, and creating big plays similar to the way that Russell Wilson does. I think that's a really good comparison because I feel like he's more Russell Wilson in the way he his throwing game is compared mm-hmm. to Lamar Jackson. I mean mm-hmm. anyone listens to our podcast know we not the biggest fan of Lamar Jackson when it comes to the throwing game. Mm-hmm. I don't have the quite the same feeling towards Kyler Murray when it comes to that. Yeah, he relies on his legs a lot, and obviously without that, he might struggle a bit more than your your pocket passer. But his mm-hmm. actual throwing ability it feels like head and shoulders above Lamar Jackson for me, and that's why I'm intrigued. And I do think he will have a, a step up again, and it won't just be because of his legs. He'll he'll throw thirty touchdowns probably, and then you know he's still that rushing threat as well. So he's also think, got a very very good wide receiver to throw it to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what he's got over Lamar. Uh, yeah, we haven't got to go over Lamar again, but he does have <laughs> he, he does have that advantage that he's got. Argue, some would argue the best wide receiver in the league, definitely top five, to get to get the ball to. So he's got it all going for him. Yeah, definitely. But that wide receiver may not be playing yet. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. We shall see. Uh, COVID and all that. Um, before we finish up with those predictions that we were talking about, have you gentlemen got anything particularly you want to run by Cameron? <clears throat> I do, but it's not so much the Rams, if you don't mind, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shoot, go for it. So my first question, obviously, with the LA, we always hear, obviously, it's hard to have two teams in LA because, you know, the, the fans only flock when the team's doing well. <clears throat> so obviously with the LA Chargers, when they, when they was playing at LA Galaxy Stadium, weren't even selling it out. So... How is the feel when it comes to the LA Chargers playing at home in the stadium? Do we is there a feeling that generally they have no fans, or is it picked up now, or is it because of Justin Herbert, for instance? Or that's a good question. It feels like there aren't many fans that support the Chargers when you can't sell out a, a smaller MLS stadium, and yeah. are you going to sell out a seventy thousand plus behemoth that is SoFi Stadium? Um, I mean, they're an exciting team, honestly. I, I like to watch them. Justin Herbert's a fun player. Uh, Derwin James is one of my favorite players when he's healthy. Um, so I think if they have some success, the team, the fans will kind of support them a little bit more. L.A. might have some fair weather fans where if the team is doing well, they uh, support them a little, a little bit more. But um, they're, I think they're a fun team to watch. So hopefully the fans come out and support them. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see those first couple of weeks. If they don't have a great start, if they end up having like 10,000 people there, it would just be absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, don't blame it on traffic. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second question I've got, obviously, the Super Bowl is in LA this year. Mm-hmm. So what's the general buzz about that? Because yeah, I don't even know the last time LA had a Super Bowl. It wasn't that long ago, I know. But um, is there, are they excited? Are they hoping for a Rams-Chargers Super Bowl? or? 
Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, Rams Chargers. Um, a lot. The fact that the Bucks won the Super Bowl last year in their home stadium has a lot of fans maybe encouraged or optimistic a little bit that the Rams can get it done. Uh, but that's that's an exciting time for the city and uh, getting such a big uh, such a big game. And it's really just the first of of some other events that they're going to have at SoFi Stadium in in LA. Um, I think they're going to have World Cup matches. They're going to have WrestleMania and. Um, college football playoffs and all kinds of big, big events. So uh, having that stadium in LA is, is a big step for them. That is an amazing stadium. It's definitely, it's hard to say what's your favorite one because the last three of every year, every time there's a new stadium, it feels yeah. like it blows your mind, but it's definitely up there with the best I think I've seen. Sweet. Well, I do have a question for Cameron, but I'm going to save it till after this, <clears throat> after this last segment. So, if you don't mind, Cameron, what we're going to do, what we have been doing with our guests here, is just to try and get some predictions of how the division is going to play out. Um, we're all in on it, so it's it's all of us, the three of us, make, making a fool of ourselves, plus you. Um, and we're just, we're just looking for kind of a, an idea of wins per team um, and kind of how that'll shape the division. So if we start with the we'll reverse it we'll start with arizona cardinals james do you want to go first yeah let's get the hate from the cardinals fans so i've got them going i've got them going nine and eight but whether that makes the playoffs or not i don't know well apparently i'll be joining you getting hate because i didn't realize i was being pessimistic when i said nine and eight too well bearing in mind charlie was predicted as having a super season and probably being a bit of a chance of an outside for the super bowl i feel like we're being harsh yeah but that what who's ever claimed that charlie knows anything <laughs> he knew the stuff in the family <laughs> uh, cameron do you want to go next with the cardinals yeah i'll be a little bit more optimistic nine seven and one they always seem to throw in a tie <laughs> yeah. so I'll, yeah i'll get that in there um nice. it's hard to I mean, I, I like them as a team, but in that division with such a tough uh, schedule and, and other teams to, to face with the Rams and the Seahawks and the 49ers, um, I think 9-10 wins is kind of their range. Wow. Well, there's James being uh, so-called pessimistic. <laughs> I, I wrote down 7-8 wins. Wow. So I'm the baddie this time. Um, yes, take it out on Andy. Which one are you going for, quickly? <laughs> Say that again, Paul. Which one is it? I can't be having slashes in there. <laughs> well, based on what you guys have said, I'll lean towards the higher number. I've got eight wins. I've bottled it. I've bottled it, absolutely. Um, okay, 49ers. Interesting. Stay with the same order, James. I've, I must have done something wrong. I know you don't have to just play in their own conference, but I've got, I've got a problem here. <laughs> My problem is that I've got them going nine and eight. As we go forward. <laughs> okay. Paul, I actually have the 49ers getting eight wins. Um, I think they're gonna stick with Jimmy for a few weeks too many, and um, even when Lance comes in, I don't expect him to turn the team around. But I think they're gonna be one of them teams that they only win eight, but the feeling's gonna be good going into next season. They're gonna see glimmers of hope that they can they can get somewhere with Lance in the future. Mm, Cameron, I'll say ten and seven. Um, I think that defense is good enough to put them uh, with a nice cushion above five hundred. Um, maybe not good enough to get them to the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be a playoff team. 
Yeah, it was my research. I was going to say research as if there's any kind of real basis to it, but prepping for this episode, I came out with 10 wins after I read a few bits. And I don't know maybe whether the Rams have taken a bit... We'll, we'll come to the Rams whether they've taken a bit of a hit with what's happened, but yeah, uh, 10 wins for me. Seahawks, James. <laughs> Nine and eight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Some division, Paul. I also have them nine and eight on this one. I am agreeing with you. <laughs> Cameron? I'll say ten and seven. Um I think I think wow. they're they're so consistently above five hundred, I'll I'll put them at ten and seven. God, why am I being the bad why am I having to do this? <laughs> I've uh, eight wins. Eight wins. So Going on to the Rams to finish this bit up, um, James. Um, yeah, I feel fairly confident they're going to win the division. Probably be going to the Super Bowl personally, but I've got them going as twelve and five, and just tough, tough, tough division. <laughs> I am going to. I'm going to go thirteen. Ooh. I am. Um... I don't like the Cardinals as much as others, and I don't like the Seahawks as much as others. I think they can win most of the divisional games, and then we said at the very, very start of the off season that they could—they're the team to watch. So I'm going to be bold enough to say 13 wins, Super Bowl. Wow, 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 Cameron. 12 and 12 and five with a deep playoff run. Um, I I don't know that they'll make it all the way to the Super Bowl, but. Fairly confident saying they'll be a top three seed. They'll win a, a playoff game or two um, and, and really have a good season. Mm-hmm. I had, and I know I know Paul doesn't like slashes, so I did have 10 slash 11. I'll go 11. Um, but generally, how much of an impact to, to the optimism has that Akers injury had is, I don't know. I think luckily they've got Henderson. Henderson obviously got a lot of reps last year and he looks like a good back. I wouldn't say I'm um, say like a top back, but as a as a backup and someone when you've lost your starter, I'd happily lean on Henderson. But yeah, it's a bit of a concern for me. I do like Akers yeah. a lot, but there's a part of me that doesn't think that, that was that wasn't what enticed me to their team before he got injured. I I've got him in fancy teams, I think he's gonna be a great asset. I thought he was going to be a great asset. But when I was talking about them being Super Bowl contenders, it wasn't because of Akers. It was because of the defence and Matt Stafford and some great wide receiver options. So, yeah, it's a shame, but I'm not I'm not taking a massive chunk of hope from them. Completely agree with that take. Yeah, it's all about the quarterback and the defence for me. Yeah. Very good. So, the one thing I wanted to ask Cameron before we let him go, aside from those predictions... Mentioned to us prior to recording that you're actually a Cowboys fan. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so just quickly, uh, we we we've obviously we've done that division, and we. I mean, I certainly am in the board. I always I always big the Cowboys up, and then I mean, last year doesn't count because Dak and everything. And I was back there again. I was bigging them up again. So what kind of season are you expecting from them? Uh, somewhere around nine and eight, ten and ten and seven. Um, it's I think the it's going to be a lot of like 35, 31 games, whether they win or lose them. 
Uh, just so many high-scoring games. That defense still concerns me a lot. Um, but the offense is so so explosive with CeeDee Lamb and Dak Prescott and Zeke and uh, Michael Gallup and uh, Mari Cooper, just so many weapons. And if that offensive line stays healthy, I think Dak is going to be um, not only comeback player of the year, but possibly an MVP guy. Andy, that is music to your ears. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Set that up. <laughs> it really is. I don't know why. Uh, I just big Dak up all the time. I'm heavily invested for one reason, but um, and it would be a feel good story as well. We like one of those. Everybody wants him to come back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that before you are now. Let's face it, because that was horrible. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, have you got anything else you want to throw at Cameron before we let him go? I don't think so. Is Sean McVay how he thinks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. He's he's such a smart guy and um, really forthcoming, and he's he's pretty much what you see is is what you get. Not always in that pool, then, like where he's top off playing with dogs and. <laughs> <laughs> On hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> it does, was... does seem like he wears his heart on a sleeve, doesn't he? So Yeah. That's cool. There was something that happened this week, though, Cameron. They brought... And I, I saw you, you tweet about it, and I'm just scrambling to, to find it. Um, they brought somebody in from a coach. Andy Benoit? Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, uh, he, he was a writer for SI and a couple other sites, and not someone that the NFL Twitter community necessarily loves for his analysis and takes, but um, he's apparently going to be an assistant to McVay. So uh, we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. Unusual route. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's everything, gentlemen. Cameron, thank you very much for your time. Uh, We appreciate you're probably a very busy man at the minute. So it uh, means a lot that you've taken the time out to do this. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a good chat. Cheers, man.